you know, I was thinking about um, today, the next couple of weeks, we have a lot of transitions that we're um, coming into as a church family. And if you haven't been tracking us, I encourage you to go listen to the podcast from the past couple of weeks, just to kind of let you know some family news. Um, but, but really, we're looking at kind of the next month and a half before some kind of changes for us as a church family. And, and, and Andrew and I were talking this week, and we're going, man, how do we help our church you know, transition well? And, and what do we need to do this week? And, and you know, I was praying this week, and I felt like that we really needed to lean into this story, um, looking at Jesus' servant. And, and I don't know fully why, and a part of it's for me, and God was doing some neat stuff in my heart this week, but, but I, I encourage us to, to really lean in this morning. You know, it's, it's interesting because we're, we're coming out of this, this season of prayer and fasting, and, you know, for some of you, maybe it was a real mountaintop moment. For some of you, it was a growing moment. For me, it was stretching. Some, maybe it wasn't. But, but what I was thinking about is so often we come out of these intense seasons of, of, of connecting with the Lord, being deeply connected in his heart and in his love. And, and what I love is that Jesus models for us, like how that translate into everyday life. And, and here's the, the thing that I want us to wrestle with this morning, that man, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you, you get to the Father, the closer you, you, you get to God's heart, the more you love people. That if you ever find yourself struggling to, to love people, so often what's happening is that there is, there's a step that you still need to take with, with, with the Lord and there's just this natural byproduct that when your heart is connected to the Father, that the only thing that you wanna do is to love people. And you see this model in the life of Jesus. I, I love the story that we're going to be in today. And I encourage us to, to take notes, you know, to, to listen to the things that stand out to you, that, that there might be something that is said or there might be a verse that's read that just really resonates in your heart. And I encourage you to pay attention to those things, that the Lord is wanting to speak and move in our midst this morning. So we're just going to walk through this text verse by verse, starting in verse one. It says, it was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And I, lo I love that line, man. What a great moment. What a great feeling for Jesus to know that the full reunification with the Father was coming. Have you ever, have you ever been away from, from someone you love for an extended period of time? Maybe in college you did study abroad or, or maybe you moved away from, from mom and dad to go to college and you're, you didn't get to go home for Thanksgiving, you didn't go home for Christmas and so you spent a long time away from them. You know, for, for me, I remember when Courtney was in physical therapy school, she had to do a, a rotation outside of Middle Tennessee and so she lived in West Tennessee for, for two months and that felt like an eternity. And you can just imagine that, that the eternal relationship that, that Jesus the Son had with, with God the Father in heaven, the, the pre-creation relationship that before anything was, it was the Father and the Son and the Spirit living in perfect harmony, perfect love, perfect joy. For thousands of years, they created together. They, 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 they unfolded human history together. And then Jesus is born of a virgin, grows up for 33 years, is separated from the Father, experiencing life and relationship in a different way than he ever had. And I love John 13, verse one. It says that he knew that his time on earth was about done, that he was about to go back to the Father. Think about the joy you feel when you reconnect with someone that you love that you've been away from for a while. And I love it. it says that Jesus loved them till the end. Don't miss that. Jesus didn't check out from life because he was excited to go be with the Father. No, he understood that, that the, the more you love the Father, the more you look to the Father, the more you love the people around you in real time. 
says that he loved them to the very end. Have you ever noticed in life, and, and maybe you've even seen this in your own heart, that, that it's easy to, to start out burning bright for Jesus. Think about when, when Christ first came into your life, when you were first born again when you first tasted forgiveness, when you first tasted the Holy Spirit. And, and so often, man, when, that, when the, the flooding of God's mercy and love comes into your life, you burn bright. Have you ever noticed how, how so often, man, we start strong and we end weak? And maybe you've seen this in, in family or your friends. And, and what I love is that Jesus models for us how to start strong and how to finish stronger. Matthew chapter 24 is a a chapter that we're going to get into one day as a church family. It's, it's talking about the return of Jesus. And one of the things that, that, that Jesus says in Matthew 24 is that leading up to the day that he returns, the love of many or the love of most will grow cold. And just think about that for a minute. Jesus doesn't say that the love of a couple or the love of a few is going to grow cold. He says the love of many. And Jesus, he, he tells us that so that we can be on our guard, so that we can be on alarm, that we find ourselves not loving. If we find ourselves growing cold and hard to God, we come back to God, we fall on our knees and say, God, have mercy on me. Would you, would you pour into me a fresh love because I don't want my love for you to grow cold. And Jesus models for us a life fully connected to the Father that fully loves the people around him. He loved them to the end. Verse two, the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. You know, I was praying for us on Thursday, praying for a church family, and praying for a couple of different things. The first thing I was praying for is I was just um, thinking about us, thinking about you all, and I was praying for those that the devil is after. You know, and, and think about this, man. Where, where has the enemy been after you in your life? Where has the enemy been prompting you to betray Jesus? It says that, that the enemy had already prompted Judas. And I want you to understand this, that, that every thought that is in your head, it's not from you. You understand that? That just because you have a thought or just because something comes across your mind, that the enemy has this subversive way of, of getting in our heads and getting in our minds and getting in our hearts. And I just want you to, to think about, man, that how has the enemy been prompting you to betray Jesus? And you go, man, I haven't even thought about that. I was praying for, for us, God, would you help us to be strong? Because I know the enemy is, it says like he's a roaring lion looking for, for those that he can devour as Peter in 1 Peter 5 says. I was praying for us, God, would you help us to be strong? And I was praying, God, not help, don't just help us to, to be strong against the enemy. God, help us to know who we are. I love this, what Jesus shows us here. He knew who he was. And he knew what the father had given to him and he knew where he was going. I go, do we live with that same clarity? Like, do we really, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, do we really live understanding, believing deep in our bones that we are children of the most high God? Not just servants, not just peasants, that we are his children, his sons and his daughters. Do we, do we live with, with clarity that we are the younger brothers and sisters of Jesus? 
Do we live believing that we are co-heirs of eternal life, that we will be with the Father and with the Son and with the Spirit forever? Do we believe, do we live believing that we have full access to the Father because of what Jesus has done? You see, Jesus knew who he was. He knew what the Father had done. He said he put all power underneath him. And he knew where he was going. Do we live with that same confidence, that same clarity? Verse four. Knowing all these things, verse four. So he got up from the meal. And he took off his outer clothing. And he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord... Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. You know, maybe you've, you've read this story before. If you're a Christian, if you've been in church before, maybe this is the first time you've heard this story. It's like, what is going on with the foot washing? You know, I've, I've, this is a, a cultural thing that they did, that, that they would gather around a meal and they, would, and they would lay on their sides. They would lean on most of the time on their left arm and their feet would be away from the table. And it was somebody's job, usually the lowliest of servants who would, who would come into this, this, this feast and it would be their job to, to wash the feet of those who were intending. Now, now, they lived in a very different culture than we did, right? That they lived in a culture not with Nikes, right? That they were more of a Birkenstock kind of culture. Like sandals everywhere you went. It was dusty. It's the Middle East. And, 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 and so they would come in and their feet were dirty. You know, and, and it's interesting. If you've, ever, if you've ever watched someone else's dirty feet, it's disgusting. My, my youngest, my five-year-old, a couple of weeks ago, she was outside playing with, without her shoes on. And, and I think Courtney just mopped the floor or something. And, and I look at her feet and they're just like covered in dirt and mud. And I'm like, pick her up, take her to the bathroom. And I'm washing her feet, like getting in between her toes. And I'm like, this is gross. Like, like washing your own kid's feet, like much less like grown-up's feet. And yeah, this was cultural. This was customary. It's a way of honoring the guest, acknowledging, hey, you've come a long way to, to my house. This is a way of me being hospitable to you. I'm going to clean your feet. How uncomfortable would we be if you showed up to my house and I asked you to take your shoes off so I could wash your feet? You'd be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> but I get it. I, I, I get Peter's resistance, don't you? Like, think about this. Um, the, the man who walked on water the man who calmed the storm, the, the man who healed the blind, the one who, who came and found you when you felt like, man, you were a nobody. When, when you were just a fisherman, a lowly peasant fisherman, and, 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 and you weren't good enough to, 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 to make it as a rabbi, you weren't good enough, and, and, and this traveling itinerant pastor comes and finds you and says, I see something in you, Peter. But there's something about you, Peter, and, and, and this same Jesus who, who was God in the flesh, who, would, who, who, who walked with Peter and who loved Peter and who forgave Peter over and over and over again and who, 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 who showed Peter, I believe in you. And Jesus is down on his knees and, and he comes to Peter and Peter's like, no, 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 
There's no way you're washing my feet. I get it. Would you let God wash your feet? Like, really? He was probably embarrassed because, you know, he, you, you realize at the table, the host, the teacher, the most important one never gets down on their knees and washes the, their, their guests' feet. And yet you see something so different about Jesus. What kind of God is Jesus like? He's different. He's a God who gets low. Who doesn't expect his people to do for him anything that he's not willing to do for them. Picking up in second part of verse eight. Jesus answered Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I love that. Peter's like, give me a bath. I want to be a part of you. What, what zeal. What a man who'd been really touched by, by the love of Jesus. I don't care, Jesus. I want everything. I don't wash my whole body if that's what it means to be a part of you. I want it all. And Jesus answered those. You can just imagine him laughing like, come on, Peter. Those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Listen to that. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean. Though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one of you is clean. And so Jesus is doing something very literal here, right? Jesus is meeting a real need. He's doing something very tangible to show his disciples that he loves them. He's serving them. He's, he's literally taking the dirt and the mud off of their feet, right? It's something tangible, something physical, but he's also talking about something beyond feet here. What's he getting at? You're clean. You don't need a bath. You just need your feet washed, though not all of you are clean because he knew who would betray him. What is Jesus doing here? What's he saying? You know, in the Old Testament, in order to come into the presence of the Lord, you had to be clean. And the language that was used in the Old Testament is that you were either clean or you were unclean. And, and there were all these laws, if you go and read the book of Leviticus, that, that, that if, man, if you ate certain foods, or if you had a baby, or if you develop a rash on your skin, it, it, it meant that you, in those moments, you were unclean for a period of time, which means that you couldn't go to the temple. You know, it, it, it means that you had to quarantine. It's interesting when you, when, you, when you look back at Leviticus, you go, man, God understood physical health and sanitation way before anyone else did. Seriously. It's like, hey, is something going on in your skin? Quarantine. So you don't get everyone else sick. Wow. What you discover is that, is that God cared about his people being physically clean, right? But it wasn't just physically clean that he cared about, you know. He really cared about his people being spiritually clean. You're like, what does that mean? Man, to be spiritually clean means that you're, you're right before God. That you're forgiven before God. That, you're, that when God looks at you, he sees someone who's holy. So once a year... The Jewish people, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and Leviticus chapter, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 30, it says, because on this day, the Day of Atonement, atonement will be made for you, listen to this, to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. 
And I love this because Jesus looks at these Jewish men, his disciples, they all grew up in the Middle East. They're, they're Jewish men. This is language that they were familiar with in the Old Testament. And he looks at them and he says, you're clean. This is a big idea. He's not just saying, hey, your feet are physically clean. He's saying, you're right before God. Peter, you're, you're holy in the eyes of God that there is no, there's no blocking, there's no sin, there's no barrier that when God looks at you, he sees righteousness, he sees purity. And yet Jesus says, but not all of you. Not all of you are clean. Not, not all of you are, are holy and righteous. And we know that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. All the disciples like they failed Jesus. He's being crucified, you know, he's being arrested and all of them, they all scatter. None of them stand by him. Peter denies him, they all fail. But the difference in Judas and the 11 is Judas and his sorrow over his sin and his brokenness, he did not turn to Jesus when he failed him. You know, Judas, it's like, man, he, he, he didn't think that there was hope for him. And how in the world could, could Jesus forgive me after what I've done for him? It says that he was filled with remorse and that he goes and he hangs himself. And the difference in Judas and the other 11 is the 11 came back into his presence. And I want you to hear this. No matter how much you feel like you failed the Lord, there's always hope for you. No matter, no matter how much you fail, no matter what you've done, literally, there's forgiveness for you. But you gotta turn to him. The enemy will eat your lunch all day long, convicting you that, that you've done too much, that you've gone too far, that you've been gone for too long, and Judas lets the enemy have his way. My encouragement to you is you feel like you've let the Lord down, there's hope for you. Turn to Jesus. He knows that we need it, all of us. I love that Jesus washes all the disciples' feet because he knew they all needed it. Even Judas. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? So on one hand, he's, he's washed their feet. He's, he's physically cleaned them up. And on the other hand, he's reminding them that they're in good standing with God. But I love the question. Listen to the, to the specifics. Do you understand what I have done for you, not what you've done for yourself? It's bigger than the physical. It's bigger than just getting the feet, feet clean. Do you understand that I have set you right with God? I've done it. Verse 13, Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I love this because Jesus, man, he just, he brings it all the way to the ground. So unbelievably practical. 
that we would serve one another, that, that nothing would be beneath us, that we wouldn't think so much or so highly of ourselves to, to, to meet the needs of those around us, that, that nothing is below us. I go, man, the, the, the king of kings, the one who had all power placed below him, the one who, who is, is king in heaven right now and who, who one day we'll, exceed, we'll see and experience king over the whole earth. Man, he served those who he created. And he says, I've done this so that you will serve others. And how many of us know that here? Or maybe how many of us, we, we've forgotten that that we've been on the mountain with the Lord, that, that we've been locked in with the Lord, but, but man, our love for people has been nothing. You see, it always translates that, that when, when the love of the Father is in our hearts, it comes out in the way that we love other people and Jesus looks at us and he says, I care about being with you on the mountain and I care about you serving one another. We know this, but isn't it true? It's so hard to do. Man, that, that we would be Servants at home, whether you have roommates, whether you're married, whether you have children, that, that, we, would, that we would serve those closest to us most intensely. And I think the problem that Christians have, have had for a long time is that, man, we, we can be really good about serving in the public spheres, but we are not very good about serving at home. What does it look like for, for you to serve at home? For nothing to be below you. For, for, for there not to be a task that, that you are too good for, that someone else's responsibility. What does it look like for you to take ownership of your home and go, you know what? I want my house. Not just in the way that I project in the public places, the way that I serve at church. I want my home to be the place that when God looks at me, he sees a servant. What does it look like for us to serve at home? What does it look like for us to serve at work? You guys have any difficult coworkers? People that are unlovely? People that are mean to you and that talk about you and that manipulate people that go behind your back, people that are, are rude to your face? Remember, Jesus washed the feet of the one who would betray him. What does it look like for us to love the people we work with, to serve them? What a different picture if, if, if instead of retaliating or instead of just, you know, being just kind of, you know, taking a step back, what if, we, what if we serve those who rebuke us? What does that do? What happens when we, when we serve those instead of gossiping, instead of slandering, instead of, instead of being hateful or vindictive, what if we serve those that betray us? What does it look like for us to serve in our city? Who are the people that need serving the most? Jesus says, I've set you an example that you should do for one another what I've done for you. Verse 16. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And I love this because Jesus, he wraps up this little section with his disciples and he reminds them and he reminds us of two things, that we're servants and that we're messengers. And if we're servants and if we're messengers, it means that we have a master and it means that we have been sent. We are servants, we are messengers, which means that we have a master and we've been sent. Well, what, what defines our sentness? What does it look like? What does that mean for us to be sent into the world? It means two things. It means that we serve and that we share. We serve. It's so practical. Jesus got down from the meal and he could have sat there and told them all day about serving, but he modeled it for them. He served them. Think about what that did in their lives. When they realized that, that Jesus, he, he rose from the dead and they realized that, that, man, this person that they had given their lives to following, they put all their hope, all their future on this one man. Imagine how amazing it was. Imagine how different they served their families. Imagine how different they served their communities. Imagine how different their life was when they realized that God had served them. And this morning... We've got to understand this. We have got to let Jesus serve us. You're like, that is the most American thing you've ever said. No, hear hear me out. We're we're like Peter. We're so resistant to that. Not me. You know, some of us come here and and, and we don't think that we have anything in our lives that need cleaning up. We're we're deceived. We're in denial. (laughs) We think we've got it all figured out and we don't. Some of us go, man, we don't need you to do anything, Jesus, because we got it all figured out. We're good. Some of us come this morning, and, and we understand who he is, and we're like, Jesus, you're not going to serve me. I'm going to serve you. I'll prove to you how all, am I, how all in I am. Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you with, with everything that I have. And, and, and guys, I, just, I, I, I felt this deep in my spirit this week that we have to let Jesus serve us. We have to let Jesus wash us and cleanse us. As we have to let him get into the deepest places of our lives, the the ugly places of our hearts and clean us. We have to open up to him. We have to quit running from him. We have to quit hiding from him. We have to let him get in and cleanse our hearts. We have to let him take from us our sin. And we have to let him die for it. We we have to let him have that. If if we do not let Jesus have our sin, we walk through this life confused, thinking that we have to earn it. We we walk through this life questioning our identity, but when we understand that that when Jesus comes into our life and, and he says, let me wash you, what he's saying is let me take all of your sin. And just like Peter, we're resistant. No, Lord, no, I'll I'll work it out. I'll read my Bible more, I'll pray more, I'll be committed to house church, I'll I'll show up every time the doors are open, I will be the best servant at home, but but you cannot take my sin. And when we refuse to let Jesus forgive the sinful, the hidden, the dark places in our lives, we're like Peter, no. And Jesus says, you have no part with me unless I wash you. Unless I can die for your sin take the shameful things that you've done 
and the things that you've done in secret that no one else knows and the things that if, if God out, you would feel so embarrassed and full of shame. Let me take those things. And just like Jesus, I mean, he had a towel wrapped around his body. So significant. He takes their dirt onto himself. And Jesus, he, he takes our sin to the cross. Like your real sin, my real sin, our real rebellion against God. And he dies for it. It's, it's serious. God doesn't go, you know what, it's okay. He says, no, your, your sin, your rebellion costs my son his life. And we have to let him wash us. See what happens when we let him wash us. When we, when we let him take our sin to the cross. This affection grows in us. This desire to, to please him grows in us. This desire to walk with him and to live for him, it, it grows in us, but it doesn't come unless you, you give him your sin. Some this morning, maybe you come here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus and, and what you need is for him to, to wash you, for him to serve you, for him to cleanse you for the very first time, for God himself to put you right before him to take away your sins, to, to clean your heart and your mind, to secure your future. And, 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 and the scripture is clear, it's emphatic. Man, Will, what, what, what necessitate, what you need to step into this is just receiving Jesus. Letting him wash you. It's, it's I believe that you weren't just a Middle Eastern man that, that died. No, I believe that you were God in the flesh and you died for my sin and you're coming back in glory one day. Receive him. And when you receive him, man, give your life to him in, in baptism. And spend your life letting him be your savior and Lord. Some of you this morning, you, you're, you, you've been washed by the Lord. You've, you've, you've been born again. You're a follower of his. But if you look at your life, you go, man, I'm not clean before God right now. You've picked back up some sinful habits. You've, you've slid back into some things that you never wanted to get back into. You've stumbled again. And I just encourage you, man, just like the disciples, let him wash you. Confess your sin to him. That's what 1 John says. Confess your sins. You will be healed. My brothers and sisters, as we let Jesus clean us, what happens is that we leave desiring to share what we've received. And I encourage us this week, man, ask the Lord for opportunities to both serve and to share him. What do you, what do you share? Man, share about what he's done in your life. Share about the, the hope that he's brought to you. Share about the, the peace that he's brought to you. Share about the way that he's comforted you in pain. Share about what he's done in your life. Share about the, the promises that he's yet to keep, that, that one day he's gonna come back and that, and that justice is gonna reign in this earth and that all these acts of injustice and all these tyrants and all these people who are waging war on innocent people, that King Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna put a stop to it, that one day the longing of our hearts is justice, is justice, and one day justice is coming. 
And for us to be people that, that share about Jesus, we're not silent and we're not scared. We, we talk about the things that we love. Let's talk about the one that we love. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I'm gonna invite us to take communion just by ourselves. You know, it's just this sacred moment where Jesus tells us, take the bread and think about my body that was broken and take the cup and think about my blood that was shed. And, and he says in 1 Corinthians, do this in remembrance of me, proclaim my death until I come. So this morning as we're taking communion, we're, 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 we're being obedient, but we're also proclaiming that, that we believe God's not done. That there's more work to be done in our lives, there's more work to be done in our world. And so this morning, I want you to think about this one question. Where do you need the Lord to cleanse you this morning? Where do you need the Lord to wash you? Maybe it's a specific, something specific. Maybe it's, a, it, it, it's something broad. Where do you need the Lord to cleanse you this morning? Maybe it's to, uh, to cleanse you to be bold, to share him. Maybe you found yourself being a coward or, or, or cowering back. And so this morning, I'm just gonna give us four or five minutes. Caleb's gonna play some back, background music. And I just encourage you by yourself to say, God, where? To, God, God, to think about where you need to be cleansed by the Lord and just to confess that to him and bring it to him. So we're going to take the next few minutes, take communion, and then I'll get back up at the end. We'll transition into a time of worship. So let's take communion now. Where do you need the Lord to cleanse you this morning? So I invite us to stand up. I want to pray. After we get done praying, if parents are going to grab your kids, and we'll finish with a little worship. And God, thank you for this morning. Love my brothers and sisters so dearly. And I know that you love us. And I pray that, that you would help us to really believe that. Believe that the cross is, is true for us. Believe that the empty tomb is true. Believe that, that you're coming back for us. You haven't forgotten us. And so God, help us to, to recognize that in this world, the enemy is running around. And so God, let us be on our guard. Let us be strong. God, let us be servants this week. Let us make much of you as we share you. And God, help us to serve just like you. You know, the way that... that as little kids, or maybe even right now, we have people we want to be like. I pray that, that you are the, you know, you're the one that we want to be like more than anyone else. And so Jesus, help us. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Receive our praise and our adoration this morning. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you need to talk or pray, I'll be at the back, the respond banner. Me and Court will be back there if you want to talk. We'd love to pray for the rest of you. Go get your kiddos. Let's worship.